Hi Soma, this is uh, the first talk in our three-week series on parenting. Uh, I thought it'd be great to look at parenting because we have so many young parents and I thought well one talk's not enough, let's do three talks and that's probably not enough either. Uh, this will be relevant to those who aren't parents because we're all uh, involved in raising children in our church and, and modelling things and having some input into the children. So all of us can learn something from this series. Now I'm no expert, but I do have four children and eight grandchildren. So, well, <laughs> I know I must know something. <clears throat> uh, now this series ha is about the longer view, laying some foundations that will stand the test of time. When we're in the throes of child raising, uh, we are often desperate for tips and ideas for how to solve immediate problems. But of course, we need more than short-term solutions. Uh, and one of the long-term needs that our children have, of course, is the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And the other one is they need the Word of God, the Gospel. So that's where I want to start uh, today, looking at instructing a child's heart in the truth of God's Word. And I want to look at forming our children through a scriptural instruction, giving them a biblical worldview uh, that speaks to their heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a really a template for how we uh, teach our children the scriptures. And Moses says to Israel, verse 1, These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Note in verse 2, uh, the three-generation vision of this passage, <clears throat> the goal of biblical instruction is so that you, your children, and your grandchildren may enjoy long life and flourish in the land. Think about that. There's more on view as we teach our children God's ways than just the immediate needs of the moment or getting through today. Obviously, we have to respond to the challenges of each day, but our focus has to be bigger than just getting through certain problems. Don't just think survival when you're dealing with your children. Think of the longer view. Our desire is to instill the love of God and his ways into the hearts and minds of our children. We want them to delight in an unseen world. And we're building a worldview which is both whole and beautiful. Uh, because we want our children and our grandchildren to follow the ways of our God God is calling us in this passage to the important task of providing formative or nurturing instruction, instruction that forms our children in the ways of God. And our concern isn't just for the moment, it's where will our grandchildren be 50 years from now. So I've got three headings, what is formative instruction, how do we do it and what's the content? What is formative instruction? Well, formative instruction is teaching that forms and shapes our children, like a potter shaping the clay on the spinning wheel under the skillful hands of the potter. 
the clay becomes this beautiful work of art. Likewise, biblical instruction forms and shapes our children. It gives them principles and absolutes to live by. It gives them hooks that they can hang their life on. It teaches them what to believe. Biblical formation is teaching our children a whole world view which is coherent, consistent, Christ-centered and satisfying. And it's the foundation for effective corrective discipline. Often our discipline of our children misfires because we haven't done a good enough job forming our children through instruction. It's important not to confuse formative instruction with corrective discipline. Discipline by itself is not enough. Formative instruction makes sense of the things that we say as we discipline our children. And formative instruction is happening all the time. If you think about it, life is like a classroom and 24-7 our children are absorbing messages from the society around them. Teaching our children every day what is valuable, what's important, what makes us somebody. Teaching our children what to think about life and about others and about God and about themselves. And some of those messages, of course, are great, but many are leading our children away from Christ. And the danger is if there's an absence of biblical formative instruction of our children, then the culture around us takes over. So how do we do this, secondly? Well, Deuteronomy continues in verse 4. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The primary place for instructing children is not Sunday school, is not youth group, is not uh, Christian school, as important as those are. The primary place uh, for teaching and forming our children is in the home, in everyday life. And this is a long-term process. Shaping a worldview does require long-term interactions with our children. And it's something that we're to be engaged in all of the time. As Moses says, talk about the ways of God when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, sitting around the house times... (laughs) can be formal or informal. Sometimes it's more formal. The family gathers for worship and the children know that after this meal is the time that we read the Bible, pray and praise. They know that this time is the time of the day when we focus on God's word. Or this is the night when our gospel community comes over for a family meal. And as they grow older, the kids are going to be part of that discussion and prayer and singing and whatever. And they'll hear, as they're growing up, they'll hear the gospel community as the various members of that community talk to each other about God and his ways. And that's just so, so good for our children to be eavesdropping our conversations. I had the joy of being raised in a home 
that had daily family worship. And we always had people coming over for prayer meetings where there was music, when there was worship going on and prayer. And as a little boy, it was very meaningful to me, even before I understood it fully. <laughs> and I think one of the most wonderful things in all of my life, actually, is to, was to fall asleep in my mother's arms to the sounds of worship uh, and love it. Uh, <clears throat> there are also less structured times uh, of sitting around the house, just hanging out, I guess. And these can be just as purposeful for showing our children the beauty of God's ways. The ways of God, the goodness of God, his care and provision, the soul-satisfying nature of God's truth can fill every conversation. Not in a stifling way, but like fresh breeze that is just blowing through the home all of the time. There are times of lying down, says Moses in Deuteronomy 6-7, and bringing the day to a close. And these are times when with our children we can reflect on the day's blessings and opportunities and challenges, where we can bring our sins before God and ask for forgiveness, and where we can pray to God for a restful sleep. There are times of rising up, uh, says Moses, and meeting a new day. And these also are great times uh, when we can be alongside of our children, anticipating the day that lies ahead, encouraging our children to find their hope and their strength in God that day. And the morning, what a wonderful time to notice God's glory and goodness. <clears throat> My mother always read from the scriptures each morning before sending us out the door to go to school. And it was just wonderful. Every single day she'd do that, and very quickly. But it was just a great way to start, start the day. Children find a certain amount of security in regularity at bedtime uh, in each morning. The same patterns, the same routines strengthen and help our children. And formative instruction fits like a hand in the glove into those moments of the day, like going to bed and and praying over our children and reading them stories from the scriptures. It's as if God actually invented a going to bedtime specifically for that purpose of reading the word of God to them and praying for them. Uh, and, and, it, and it helps our kids feel so close to us. Or reading a psalm in the morning. Wow. And then there's informal times of instruction as we walk along the road, Paul, uh, Moses says, verse 7. If you don't walk along the road, riding in the car, singing together in the car, songs of praise, you know, reading a psalm, pointing out all the amazing things around us as we drive <laughs> that God has made. This is the picture we're given in Deuteronomy 6-7. Times of movement from point A to point B are times to talk about God, times to Think about life and how to live. Times to reflect on life's struggles and life's joys and to talk about knowing God and the beauty of God. Now, I don't think that's meant to be a monologue from us or a lecture. Uh, I th think of it this way. You're driving through a thunderstorm and, um, and just say to your children, wow, God is showing us his glory, isn't he, through this thunderstorm? And if you think about it, God has designed the world to be a place that is continually displaying his glory, 
rivers and clouds and rain and thunderstorms and snow we saw this week up, up on the mountain and, and trees and food and arms and legs and hands and ears and eyes and even tears uh, display the glory of God to us. And every opportunity uh, that those things happen is an opportunity to talk about God, to infuse life with a sense that the ways of God, the beauty of God, are everything to us. They're life itself. For me as a child, more often than not, uh, it wasn't my parents taking me from A to B. It was the Aboriginal community that we lived among. And people would take me to their basketball games or, you know, they'd be sitting around a circle. Someone would get out a guitar, as Aboriginal people do so much, so well. And... I'd be listening to everything they were saying to each other, not just what they were saying to me, but of course they did say so many wonderful, great, formative things to me. But listening to them share their joys, share their faith was just so good for me. In Deuteronomy uh, 6, Moses even says the word of God should decorate our homes. <clears throat> he says, verse 9, write these things on your door frames and on your gates. Uh, it's great to have, I guess, Bible verses here and there. And by extension, a distinctively Christ-like culture ought to permeate our homes in the way that we set our homes up. And um, these, the way we have constructed our homes is part of the message about what really matters and about what life's make, makes life life. And notice in Deuteronomy 6, the ways of God have to be taught by people who have personally embraced God. The ways of God must be life for mum and dad and for the gospel community that surrounds our children. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. There's more to this than just passing on ideas. We need to be caught up in God ourselves. And if God's incredible mercy in Jesus Christ has not melted our hearts and produced a profound love of God in us, we'll never impress the goodness of God's ways onto our children. It all begins with us being dazzled by God. Ken DeCreasy Dean, in her book, Practicing Passion, Youth and the Quest for a Passionate Church. I love this book. I read it kind of every day when I was a youth worker. She says, true passion is seen in whether we're prepared to suffer for something. And she says, youth are dying for something worth dying for. So if we are passionate about God and Jesus and his kingdom and suffering for it, and giving our lives to it, the kids will pick that up and they'll see that. That'll be so compelling for them. The very next phrase in this passage makes this point. Verse 6, these commands that I give you this day are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. The things that we value, that are on our hearts, that we treasure the most. These are the things that we will impress on our children. A necessary element of being equipped to show our children the glory of God is that we are awed by God ourselves. Um, our own communion with God and sense of being fulfilled and satisfied in him uh, will show our children so much. There's something more than just ideas and concepts here. 
This is to be our heartbeat. It's to be what makes us tick. And the term heart here describes the very core of our being. This is to be in the depths of us, the joy that we live for. Model spiritual vitality to our children. Model a vital relationship even in the sorrows of life as well as the joys. That's very compelling for our children. The surest way to harden the hearts of our children towards God is to have a form of godliness that denies its power. Our children will believe that Christian faith is genuine when they see us knowing God and knowing him deeply. And as children grow older into young adulthood, they're searching for a faith which is something they can die for. And let them see you living for the kingdom, living for for God, living with other Christians for kingdom outcomes, working together in costly ways. There's one more aspect uh, to formative instruction in Deuteronomy 6. It's at the end of the passage. We didn't read it. Verse 20 says, If your children come to you and say, What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord your God gave? And our children, as they get older, they are going to be asking those kinds of questions. You know, not those words exactly, but why do we do all this stuff? You know, why do we have to go to church? You know, why are we involved in a gospel community? Why do we serve our neighbours? Why do we make the choices we make as a family? And what Moses answers is very profound. He says, embed the choices you make in a redemptive framework. We're to say to our children, we were once slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but God brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and he saved us and he set us free to be his people by his grace. Where in our case, God has shown us so much grace and mercy and saved us through Jesus Christ and his death for us. And that has never-ending implications for our life as a family. We have made different choices than the families around us because we've been recipients of the grace and compassion of God through Jesus. And so how can we not organise our whole life around his kingdom and what he wants for us? God has blessed us so richly in Christ. We want our whole life to be about gratitude and loyalty to him. That's why we make the decisions that we make. So formative instruction is something we're doing all the time, every day. Corrective discipline, however, is what we do in those special uh, times when something goes wrong. And our corrective discipline is built on this great foundation of formative instruction. Without the formative instruction, our corrective discipline becomes very difficult indeed. We need a vision of this nurturing instruction from infancy to adulthood, not just fixing short-term behavioural problems. Right, thirdly, what's the content of formative instruction? It's all about showing who God is and what he's done. The biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration is the backdrop for understanding all of our life together. In Genesis, God describes how he created and sustains the world through his powerful word. And he gives you and me and our children every breath that we breathe. The scriptures show us how humanity came perfect from the hand of God, but was spoiled by the fall. That's very important, that initially we were perfect. 
And the Bible unpacks humanity's hope for redemption through God giving his son, Jesus Christ. God's word provides the common ground for our family. What we teach our children and require of our children is based in God's word and not our own ideas. Think about it this way. The Bible is our story. It's deeply personal to us. It describes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It provides a framework for the coming of Christ who saved us by his sacrificial work on our behalf. It expresses God's purpose to protect and direct us through his law. It exposes the reality of humanity living in a fallen world. The history books of the Bible demonstrate God's faithfulness to us. He's so faithful. And they also demonstrate these history books. They also demonstrate our need for a saviour. They also provide the historical backdrop to the prophets. Then the books of poetry and wisdom vividly describe for us the experience of knowing God in the context of all of life's joys and sorrows. They model the person who knows and reveres God no matter what life uh, challenges us with. They contrast wisdom and foolishness. They provide powerful tools for receiving the word of God. The books of prophecy pronounce God's judgment on Israel for straying. And woven throughout the message of judgment is God's purpose to deliver, to show mercy. Also, the prophets model a true spirit of repentance and then how God restores us. In the Gospels, we see the life of Jesus as he fulfills all of the promises of the Old Testament. And God demonstrates his faithfulness in sending at the appropriate time his son to die for us and the pouring out of the Spirit on us. The letters interpret for us the work of Jesus. They apply the meaning of his redemption to our lives and teach us about the work of the Spirit in our lives. The personal work of, uh, personal work of Jesus are the central focus of the Scriptures. He's there in uh, Genesis just after the fall with the promise, promise of, the, of the one who will crush the serpent's head and he's there at the end in glory in Revelation 21 and 22. And our lives are lived in the interim between the creation and the new heavens and new earth. And only the scriptures can make sense of our lives and the ch lives of our children. And the primary goal, therefore, is to show us that story of our lives from from the creation right through to the recreation and to show through that who God is and what he has done. Think of it as our family album, <laughs> this story of God. It's not someone else's story. It's our family story. All right, so we need to show the story of God and who God is and what he's done. So we need a plan. <laughs> How are we going to do that? And so this is where we can work together. Don't feel like you're on your own. We want to help each other with this whole task. But let me quickly suggest a few things. With little children, read the stories in the Old and New Testament. This will captivate them. Younger high schoolers love to reason and debate. Pull apart the letters of Paul and see how he reasons and argues for the truth. Do that over dinner at night. When your kids are teenagers, read the prophets to them. 
because the message of the prophets is judgment. It's the fear of the Lord. And it's that God is not a God who overlooks evil. And teenagers desperately need to hear that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And make it fun for children. Riding along in the car, play, Who am I? I'm the boy who fell asleep during one of Paul's talks one night. What is my name? You know, make it fun. So knowing who God is and what he's done, knowing the story of God. But our children need more of that. They need us to apply that to everyday life. There are countless opportunities to connect scripture, that story of God, to everyday life. When the kids come home from school and it's been a hard day, they've failed at a test or they've had an issue with their friends or they've won a soccer match, maybe it's positive. Our responses to those things with the scriptures really does open the door of what the scriptures mean to our children. And the Bible stories have many stories of children whose knowledge of God's word led them to bold action. Thrill your children with those stories. The story of David and his courage and conviction to take on Goliath based on his faith in God and his knowledge of God. Samson, or in the book of Esther, the little servant girl who's unnamed in Naaman's house. Tell them these wonderful stories. And don't forget that this is about the future generations to come and not just every day, every moment (laughs) and the difficulties that we face with our children. But this big view of we want the generations to come to follow the ways of God. And one of the great pleasures and joys that I have is to watch my four children taking their place in God's kingdom, following God's ways, vital members of gospel communities and of churches. It is just so satisfying and such a work of God to see this. And Glenda and I just love it. We just love our kids and feel so privileged that God has done this work. And I think we've got to have that total view, praying for that together as a community, supporting each other. Well, just one thing you could perhaps work on this week is, what's one thing you could do differently as a result of what I've said today? As a parent or in a gospel community, as you support and gather around the children in that community. Thanks so much.